Jenny bought our uh, older grandson some Lego kits to put together. There's a, a, you know, certainly more than one reason for that. One is um, they like Legos, and two, we like we like quiet. And so when they're working on that, it gets to be a little quiet. They take out the instruction books, and what they do is they there's. The kit she buys has little packages in there that are numbered in an instruction book that goes with each one. Uh, so they pull them out and they open the book up. They start to look at the pictures and they start to figure out how to put this together. You know, and they, and they begin to build it. They begin to put it together, uh, just like the instructions show them that it should be done. And some of that, well, they all actually pay pretty close attention to the instructions, uh, you know, and try to follow them. Uh, Caleb was over on Wednesday, and he was working on putting this truck together. It's a truck with a trailer, and it has, you know, then there's a, another little ATV type thing goes on the trailer. Well, he was working on the truck. And as he was getting near the end, he was almost done, and he couldn't find one particular part. And he said, Papa, I can't find this. He said, can you help me find this? So we go and we start sifting through, you know, the pieces that are on the, on the table there. And, um, you know, he, he, he wanted to find this last piece to complete the truck. It was almost done, but it wouldn't be complete, you know, see, if it didn't have this last piece, according to the, to the pictures that were there. Uh, now the truck would roll, you know, and it would, it would function. You could still hook the little trailer up to it and all those things. It could do all of those things, but it wasn't complete. And he wanted it, you know, he wanted that truck to be complete. Now, there were other Lego pieces we could have stuck on there. They weren't the right ones, uh, but he didn't want that. He wanted, you know, he wanted the, the, the piece and he wanted the right piece. We could have left it incomplete as it was, you know, and he certainly could have played with it. Um, you know, but I, I wanted that truck to be complete because complete is, it's a good feeling. And I wanted Caleb to have that feeling of something that was completed, you know, and just that, that good feeling that, that goes along with that. And so I helped him look for the part. Well, we found the part. It was underneath one of the instruction books, you know. And, and as soon as we got it, I said, Caleb, here it is. And he, so he, he got it and he stuck it on, the, you know, it was the little tailgate for the truck. Uh, it was a piece for that. And he stuck it on that tailgate and then he stuck the tailgate in place. And you could just tell. He just, he was really thrilled. He was thrilled, you know, that it was done, and he was thrilled that all of the pieces were in place. Now, there is a big difference between life and Legos, um, you know, but there are, there are many of us, you know, that, that uh, search for completeness. There's just that, that piece that's missing, and, and we want that to be in place. We feel like it's not, we're not quite done, and we want to get all things in place so that life works well. It might be better to state we want to get, we want to get things complete and in place so that we work well in life. So that, we, so that as, as we're going through life, that, it's, that you know, we, we feel that there's this completeness and, and functioning and that everything's kind of where it needs to be. Uh, today we're going to start a series going through the book of Colossians, and I titled it, as you see, Complete in Christ. That seems to be the overall theme through the book of Colossians uh, as, you, you know, as, as we look at it. And those of us, those of us with a relationship with, with Christ, now we would say that life is incomplete without Christ, but too often, too often our, our, the way we live betrays our words. While we might say life is incomplete without, without Christ, you know, the way we live betrays our words. So this series that we're looking at here, it's for those who are searching and those who don't know they should be searching. 
you know, for that completeness. You know, it's for all of us to be able to know more the reality of completeness of life in Christ and all that that means and the reality, really the great reality that it brings to living. So let's pray and we're going to get into this book a little bit today. Father, thank you for what is ours in Christ. Now we say that and we don't even, we, we don't get the grasp the fullness of that. So I pray you would help us a little bit more today to grasp what that means. What it means to have completeness in you. What it means to have the relationship a little fuller, a little deeper. We don't want this just to be thoughts on a page. We don't want it just to be things that uh, go through our head, but things that get into our life. So we need that help to make the transition from what we see in your word to how we live it in our life. So help us to do that. Uh, I pray that what we go over today, what we look at today, will help us to go through life not just feeling more complete, but in reality being more complete, more complete in you and what that means. So help us to grasp it, understand it, and uh, not only to live it, but to live it in such a way that, um, that others too might come to know what it means to have a relationship with you. And to live in that completeness. So guide our thoughts today and the days to come, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So turn to Colossians chapter 1. If you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 1083. Uh, as, as you turn there, you know, this is one of Paul's letters written while he was in prison in Rome, often referred to as the prison epistles. The four, the four epistles, epistles just means letter, those four letters uh, that he wrote that we have, at least, the ones we have, are Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Now, Philemon was an, an individual. It was written to Philemon. And it says, as you read the book of Philemon, and to the church that meets at his house. So, in one sense, it was to the church, but it, it addressed a very specific situation. It was written on behalf of, a, of an escaped um, I guess that would be the word, slave, Onesimus, who belonged to Philemon, and Paul met him, and as they did, he sent him back, but sent him back with this letter. Um, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, the, Colossians the one we're looking at, they were written to churches that were associated with towns, you know, with the town of Ephesus, Philippi, and Colossae. And it was to those those churches there. Now, Paul had been to Ephesus and Paul had been to Philippi, uh, you know, and he is credited with starting those churches in each of those cities. But Paul had never been to Colossae. He is he's not the one who started the church there. It's a letter. Colossians is a letter to a church that he had never been to. It's a group of people that he'd never met. He's writing to them. Uh, you know, it was started by some who heard Paul while he was in Ephesus. He was in Ephesus, you know, for an, the, the probably well the longest recorded place we have of where he stayed. And while he was in Ephesus, some uh, some of the people came and heard him, and then they took that message back to Colossae. It was probably you know uh, Epaphras, which we're going to you'll hear about him in these verses that we read. I've, I've really enjoyed my study of this book so far and uh, looking forward to continuing on in it. Um, I encourage you, you know, you might want to read through it maybe even once a week as we're going through this series. I think it'll help you grasp it more. But today, first eight verses. So beginning with verse one of chapter one in the book of Colossians, follow along. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will and Timothy, our brother. 
To the saints in Christ at Colossae who are faithful brothers, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the message of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and recognized God's grace in the truth. You learn this from Epiphras, our dearly loved fellow slave. He is a faithful servant of the Messiah on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. Now we're going to stop there, and, and we're going to pick up next week uh, going on from there. But let's look at these first eight verses. Back in 60 A.D., about the time this was written, they wrote letters in a style we would consider backwards uh, from how we write a letter. When we write a letter, we sign our name at the end. They put their name who wrote it at the beginning, uh, you know, instead of signing. And I don't know if you ever pay much attention to how people sign their, how, you know, how people sign uh, their letters to you and stuff. And, you know, it identifies them. Now, it often depends on who you're writing to. Uh, I will close a letter with either, you know, sincerely, uh, you know, sincerely yours, yours in Christ or in his love. Uh, you know, some I just sign love and now, you know, put my name down there. Um, and then, you know, after that, I, I either put Pat, Dad, Pastor, you know, Patrick, um, my sisters call me Patrick and um, because that's what my mom called me. But anyway, uh, that's the name my mom gave me. But the, uh, or sometimes, I'll, you know, I'll sign Patrick M. Ryan if it's something official or I'll put Reverend Patrick M. Ryan, depending on what I'm writing, um, you know, underneath my name after I sign my name. Uh, the way I identify myself depends on the purpose of the letter and who I'm writing to. For example, when I send Kent a note, I always, after my name, I put senior pastor just so he doesn't forget. <laughs> and if, if my wife sends me an email during the day and I respond to her, um, I, you know, and I, I respond to her and, and I, I put uh, sincerely Reverend Patrick M. Ryan, just so she knows I mean business you know, on, on there. Uh, so how we, you know, how we identify ourselves, uh, you know, it, it sometimes changes. Now look how Paul identifies himself there in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. Now you may be drawn to the part where he says an apostle. That's not the part that drew my attention. The part that I think is important for us to focus on is the end of that there where he says by God's will. You see, it was by God's will that he was an apostle. Yet he was an apostle by God's will. Not because it was something that he thought would be. We, how do we usually decide you know, what we are, in a sense? Um, when men have conversations, one of the first things that comes up in a conversation with men generally is, um, so what do you do? You know, meaning, you know, what do you do for a living? And that's how we kind of identify ourselves. Uh, and... and Women don't always do it that way, but uh, here, you know, as he's talking and as he's writing, that isn't how he identifies himself. You know, we we do, and we become what we what we become sometimes. Why do we choose what what it is we do? Well, before I was a pastor, you know, I did the, the demillwright right and welding work, and I did that because well, I needed a job after I got out of high school. When I got out of high school, if you wanted to make money which was kind of the purpose of a job, wasn't it? Uh, you know, then if you wanted to make money, 
you went into the trades. You didn't horse around with college. Why would you go to college? No offense to any of you who did, but, you know, why would you go to college? I was, Ginny worked downtown Chicago and worked with guys who all went to college. I worked in the suburbs, you know, five minutes, literally five minutes from our house, and I worked in the suburbs, you know, in the trades, and I was making more than those guys who went to college that she worked with downtown. That's just the way it was. But you see, that's how we still sometimes how we pick out what it is we do. We pick it out by either, you know, what, what we like, you know, that, what, what we like doing. I like putting things together, taking things apart. You know, the millwright work just flowed right with that. I mean, I could take apart big things, you know. This was really cool. I could take apart big things. I remember one time they brought in, we were going to lunch, and as we were going to lunch, we saw this low boy coming by with a, it had a, a, an engine on there that they use in the, in the steel mills. And we kind of laughed, ha-ha, that's probably coming to us. We came back from lunch, and there it was, waiting to be, you know, they had to, had to get a crane in there to unload this thing. We got to take this thing apart. I mean, this is pretty cool. You see, but this is how we, this is how we often then choose what it is we're going to do. Either because we, we enjoy doing it, or we can make a lot of money doing this. And those sometimes become our motivating factors. And, and the will of God becomes lost. It, it, it's, it's just totally lost in the shuffle of what it is. What we should be able to say, what we should be able to say is by God's, you know, by God's will, I'm a millwright. By God's will, I sell insurance. By God's will, you know, I work at Dana. By God's will, I am a builder. You know, by God's will, I'm a teacher. By God's will, this is what we should be able to say. God's will needs to come into play, you see. It, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will. If we're going to be complete in Christ, you know, if we're going to be complete in Christ, we need to be more aware of God's will in all we do and and in all we have done. We need to be more aware of his will. Now, this is not complicated and mysterious, and we often make this much more complicated, you know, than it needs to be. It's a mindset. It is a mindset that sees God in all that I do and in all that I am. That all I do and all I am is is God is a part of that. And it's a necessary outlook if we're going to be complete in Christ. You will never be complete in Christ if you ignore God's will. And, you know, God's will is found in God's word. If you want to know his will for you, you know, see, this is where we get all, we get all discombobulated sometimes. And, well, I need to know his will, you know. And, 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 and we get all off, we get ourselves all off, off, off kilter. And it's because we begin to focus in on this one little part. The majority, remember, 87% of, of statistics are made up on the spot. 95% of God's will, I would, I would even say 99% of God's will for you is found in his word. It's not complicated. It's not. He wants you to be, if you're married, a good husband who loves his wife as Christ loves the church. If you, he wants you to be a wife who, who respects and honors her husband. He wants you to love your neighbor as yourself. He wants you to treat others as you wish to be treated. He wants you to give honor to those, you know, those who are in authority over us. You see, these things are in his word. It's not that complicated. 
we get all confused on some of these small things, you know. Like, should I be, should I, should I, you know, am I... When I got when I you know when I got this job being a millwright, so I wasn't first of all I wasn't even a Christian at that point, you know God directing my life wasn't wasn't a question because it was me who was directing my life you see. And I came to Christ as I was doing you know as I was doing the, the millwright and welding work, and then I re, I remember when I got to the place. You know, and I came to Christ, and I came into a relationship with Him, and I realized, you know, He died on the cross for me, just like we were talking about, and you know, and asked Him for, to forgive me and to guide me. That's a relationship. It's not. It's not checking a box. It's that relationship. And so then, I, you know, I, I got to that place where I realized that I wasn't. I wasn't a welder who happened to be a Christian. But I was a Christian welder. What's a Christian welder? Uh, uh, it's somebody who's a Christian, first of all. And then a welder, second of all. That I worked the way I worked. I was the person I was, not because I was a welder, but because I was a Christian. It's that mindset of seeing God in all we do. And involving God, and you know that that whole that whole thing of of being and and doing, you know, all focused around God. It's found in His Word. We may not be an apostle, but we should be able to say, you know, what what Paul said to the Corinthians: "But by God's grace, I am what I am. By God's grace, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not ineffective." His grace is working in my life. His grace is transforming me. I, you know, I, I am a teacher. I am a secretary. I am a housewife. I, whatever it is. And, I, and his grace to me, his grace to me is what's making the difference in my life. When I am complete in Christ, I can say without reservation, without hesitation, without trying to manipulate things so I look better, I can say that I am what I am because of God's grace working in me. Because of his grace, when we have that confident outlook you know, about our place in Christ, we become a more thankful person. Look at verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. You see, because when we're complete in Christ, we can be a thankful person. You know, we can be that. Here's the outlook. You know, we notice how God is working in others. This is what he was doing here. He was noticing how God was working in others. And we can be thankful for them instead of jealous of them. I can remember, you know, I, I, I like music, you know. And the only thing I can do with music is, is the radio. And sometimes I struggle with that. But, yeah, I can't play an instrument. I'd love to be able to play like Kent does. I just think that would be great. You know, I don't want to learn, but I, I, I want to be able to. You know, I used to be a little discontent that I couldn't do an instrument or I couldn't sing well like other people, you know, and they sing these songs. Songs are powerful. I told you before, none of you have ever gone home humming one of my sermons. You just don't do that. But music is powerful. And it used to bother me sometimes that I could... They say, what, he's do, what he tells us here, you know, is that we can be a thankful person because he was thankful for them rather than jealous of them. Because he realized more who he was in Christ. Now remember, Paul had not been to Colossae. He had no personal acquaintance with these people at all. 
But he heard about them, it says, and specifically about their faith in, in Christ Jesus, it says, and their love for other believers. You see, when you, when, when you understand your completeness in Christ, you are, you are much freer to love other people because, you know what, I'm not competing with you. I'm not competing. God doesn't love those people who can sing better than he loves us, who can't sing <laughs> better. They're not, you know, they're not God's favorite. We're all God's favorite. You know, there's, he said, you know, they, they showed their love about their faith in Christ. They, he had, Paul had heard about their faith in Christ and their love for others. The first, those are the, the, the two things that Jesus called us to put first in our life when he was asked, what's the most important thing? Jesus, what is the most important thing? And he, some of you remember this. You know, and he says, this is what's most important. He said, listen, Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. That was, that was the Shema that, the, that the, the Jews would say, you know. And it goes on. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. No commandment greater than these. Paul says, I heard about these in you. I thank God for you because I heard about these things in your life. About your love for God and your love for all the other people. Your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the other people. As I was thinking about Paul thanking God for the Colossians' faith in Christ and their love for all the saints, I I had to ask myself two questions. How obvious is my faith in Christ? Is it obvious? Do I really have to put pastor after my name so someone can say I have a commitment to Christ? And the other question is, you know, who am I thankful for and have I told them I'm thankful for them? You know, to see Christ and how he lives in and through some of you is just such an encouragement to me. You know, how thankful of a but be a thankful person. And let people know you're thankful for them, you know, or what, what they've done that, you know, what they've exhibited in their life that you're thankful for. Um, Paul wrote thanks from prison. His conditions were not conducive to thankfulness. Prison then was not like prison now, and prison now I don't think is any fun either, you know, but prison then was even worse because they didn't necessarily feed you. They didn't necessarily take care of you. They locked you up. And if you were going to be cared for, it was going to be done by your family or friends or somebody. And it didn't matter. You see, so those who didn't have someone to care for them, they either died or they beat the next guy up so they could have some of what he got. Prison was not a pleasant place. And Paul was under arrest. He spent part of that time in prison, part of the time, it says, in his own rented house. But you know, it, it was not a pleasant place. And he expressed thankfulness for what God was doing in the lives of others, even from that place that was not conducive to thankfulness. They were living out their completeness in Christ, and, and, and it showed their, in their love for others. And it says, and it was in verse 5 there, because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. He said, you did these things because of that hope. You, you know that hope reserved for you in heaven. They lived like this was not their home. 
You know, that, that they lived by the knowledge that heaven was their home and all of this was temporary and it all flowed naturally from their knowledge of the gospel. Look again, verse 5. You have already heard about this hope in the message of, the, of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It's bearing fruit, growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and recognized God's grace in the truth. You see, as we, as, we, as we talk about Jesus, as we live for him, we need to emphasize the good news of the gospel. You cannot be complete in Christ without the gospel. You can't. You cannot. You know, to say that all people need is Jesus, well, there's a lot of truth to that. It's not all they need. They need to wake up, too, you know. They, the gospel, without, without the gospel, that's a relationship to Christ is what he's talking about here. The gospel centers on Christ. You know, it centers on him. It is not, it is not simply a condemnation of sin. We need to get that. It is not simply condemning sin. It, you know, it, it, is, it centers on Christ. It's a message of God's grace, we're told. Very clearly, it's of his grace. That God's grace is God's favor shown to undeserving sinners. The forgiveness we just talked about, the forgiveness that is ours, not because we deserved it, but because he's God. The gospel is good news because of God's grace. The gospel is for the whole world. It's for the whole world. God is willing and he is able to save all of those who come to him in Christ. It's not just for those people that received this letter from Paul in Colossae. It's not just for the Philippians and the Ephesians. It's not just for those people. It's for all of those who come to Christ. And they are told here very clearly that the gospel is the word of truth. It's the word of truth. If you want to know the truth, that's where it's found. In the gospel. It came from God and it can be trusted. Jesus in, chapter, in John chapter 14, verse, you know, verse 6, he said, this is as he's talking to his disciples, he says, I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth. You want to know what truth is? You need to look to him. You need to look to him. He says, no one comes to the Father but through me. A little bit later that same evening in his prayer, as he's, as he's praying in John 17, 17, it says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. To be complete in Christ, you need the truth of his word. You need the truth of his word. Now, what we should realize and what you need to come to grips with is that a Christian's standard of knowledge, those who have a relationship with Christ, their standard of knowledge and truth deviates from what is publicly taken for granted as truth. What a Christian believes, is, you know, and they believe the Word of God, it very often goes against the grain of those around us. We live, in a, we live in a dominantly secular culture. What I mean by that is, one, is a culture that doesn't know God. That's what I mean by secular. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that in a condemning way. I'm saying that in a clarifying way. It's a culture that doesn't know God. We can, you, you, you cannot go through you know, life anymore thinking that, that people understand who God is. And because we live in that type of a culture, we face tremendous psychological pressure to conform to the views around us. 
We face that pressure to conform. To, we talk about politically correct, and we use that sometimes as a, as a term meaning, you know, well, that, that they're wrong. What that is, is that's the common accepted by our society, by the society that, don't, that does not recognize God, a society that, that does not know God, not always intentionally, sometimes intentionally on our part, not always intentionally, it's because they just flat out don't know, they haven't heard them. That's not how our society operates anymore. It's not, this is... I don't want to hurt your feelings. It's not a Christian nation. We do not live in a Christian nation. We live in a nation that has some Christians in it. But the, what is around us puts that, puts that pressure on us to conform to the views around us. Yeah, and, and there is less tolerance for those who want to be complete in Christ because more and more people don't know what we believe. They don't know what we believe. They only know what we're against. And that is to our shame. They don't know what it is we believe. They don't know why we, why we believe and why we oppose certain things. We need to be able to tell them what it is we believe. When those around us, then they, they turn to religion and they explore all sorts of alternative spirituality because they, they assume Christian doctrines are simply those things made up by man. And you see, what happens is the opinions, you know, that, that the opinions of man, they, then they're either affirmed or rejected by someone's personal preference. And that's the society we live in. Look at verse 6 in Colossians 1 there. It says that what was going on was bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it, and recognized God's grace in truth. We live in a time where they, we, people don't recognize God's grace in truth because truth is considered subjective, which flies in the face of what truth really is. If truth is subjective, you see, if, if what's true for you, you know, your truth and my truth, are, well, they're both true, but they oppose it. That, that flies in the face of what truth is. Truth, if truth is subjective, then it's only an opinion. And an opinion is not necessarily truth. See, people believe that if it, you know, if it helps me, it's true. And if that's, the, if that's our approach to truth, if it helps me, it's true, then we have become the deciders of truth. Didn't Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life? Didn't he say, sanctify them by your word, you know, by your, your truth, your word is truth? You've heard me say it before and it bears repeating. Everyone lives by faith. Every single person in this world lives by faith. Those who are agnostic... Those who are atheists, who don't even believe in God, they live by faith. Every single person in the world lives by faith. They're living by faith in God, or they're living by faith that there is no God. And your faith is only as good as the person or the object that you trust. Saving faith, a relationship with Christ, it involves the mind, the emotion, and the will. 
the verses we looked at, the verses we looked at, you know, that we looked at earlier is, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. It involves the, the mind, the emotions, and the will. Because, you see, it's with our mind that we understand the truth of the gospel. But it goes beyond that because it's with the emotions then that we feel that need to be forgiven. We feel that need for forgiveness, that need for a relationship with Christ. And then with our will, we commit ourselves to following Jesus Christ. It involves the mind, the emotions, and the will. It's not just the mind of saying, yeah, yeah, that's right. If, if, we, don't, if we don't connect with that need for Christ, if we, if we don't commit ourselves to him, then I, I don't believe biblically there is saving faith. That's why verse 6 says, it's bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and recognized God's truth. The gospel is complete. There is no secret information. There are no missing books. You know, there are no missing pieces. And that's why really, you know, reasoning and persuasive arguments, they can be effective, but they're going to be even more effective when people can see the evidence of what we say lived out in our lives. And when they can see us living by the truth that we're proclaiming, then what we proclaim is going to be even more effective. The Colossians lived out their faith. They lived out their faith and their love for all the saints. In the New Testament, we're told we must love one another. You know, and here's where we get confused in our society because, you know, love is this feeling and we fall in and out of love. No, you don't. You fall in and out of lust. You fall in and out of like and things like that. You don't fall in and out of love. You know, in the, in the new, love, you know, we're commanded to love one another. You cannot command feelings. That's why when you tell your kid to stop crying, what do they do? They don't stop crying. They keep crying. Why? Because they're hurt. Their feelings are hurt. You know, whatever. You, you cannot command feelings. The love that we are called to, to, to have you know, has to do with the actions that aim at improving the welfare of another. That's what love is about. That's why, husbands, you can love your wife because Christ has. Well, we fall short of what Christ has, but we work toward that goal, which means what? That we have our actions, our aim at improving her life and her welfare. You see, because that love follows the pattern of loving that we celebrated in communion. It follows the pattern of celebrating the love that God gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, God took that action for our welfare. He took that action for our benefit. And this is the love that he calls us to to love one another with. To be complete in Christ, you need to trust. You need that truth of God's word. Now, Paul mentions there who gave the truth. And in verse 7, he says, you learned it from, a, from Epaphras, our dearly loved slave. Epaphras, he, he discipled them. He discipled them. He's a faithful servant of the Messiah on your behalf and told us about your love in the spirit. He taught them how to follow Jesus. He taught them, he taught them how to become faithful to Christ. God works through people. I, one of my professors, one of my teachers, um, it, it just rubbed my fur the wrong way when he said this, and in some, in some ways it still does. Um, he said, God's method is a man. God's method is a man. Now, it doesn't mean as a man opposed to a woman. What he means is God works through people. And it's true. 
I heard about the gospel because God worked through different people to tell me and to help me see and understand who Jesus Christ is. Because I could see in other people's lives what it meant to, be, to begin living for Christ. And I could see what it meant, you know, that, that not only he died on the cross for me so I could go to heaven, but he died on the cross for me so I can live here in this world now. God works through people. And God works through Epiphras there for them. Who taught you what it means? Who taught you what it means to be living as people who believe the truth of the gospel? Who are you helping? Who are you helping to understand what it means to live the truth of the gospel? I'm so excited, you know, because you guys got the baby train rolling again. So we got, now it's, some of you are going to stop listening after I say this, so... I'm not going to say it. Okay, I will. You know, so we, okay, we have more babies coming this year. You know, some of them you guys know about already. Some of them you don't. It is so cool. I love it. I absolutely love it. You guys have thrilled me just beyond belief. We dedicate those kids and we pray. And what do we say? What we say is we're going to be responsible to teach them what it means. To live the truth of the gospel. Right now they're downstairs and they're teaching these kids in in two different classes. Two different children's church things. Of what it means to live the truth of the gospel. You see, this is our responsibility, not just for the kids, but, but for, you know, who is it that you're helping? Who is it that you're helping to know the truth of the gospel? Epiphras was the one, you know, who helped them. You are complete in Christ when God works through you. Because God works through people. We may not like it, we may, we may not like it, and it is, you know, but, but God does work through people. That's how he has chosen to work. Here's my call for you. Let him work through you. Let him work through you. Now, there's a lot more in these verses, but that's enough for today. You know, as you move toward being complete in Christ, see what he has done. See what he has done. Be more aware of God's will in all you do. In everything you do, be more aware of his will. Then you will become that thankful person who embraces the gospel and the truth of God's word as you let God work through you. Let's pray.